it is good to see people back in here this morning. I was reminded the last couple weeks of how much I didn't enjoy preaching to an empty uh, sanctuary this past spring, but uh, here we are back again, and it's the third Sunday of Advent. I know it's the first Sunday that we've been uh, here in the building during this Advent, but it is the third Sunday of uh, this Advent season, and, and so we've also come to the, the third week in our uh, Advent sermon series called Christmas Songs, or Christmas Singing. And so the first week, uh, if you remember, we looked, at, uh, we looked at the song of Mary, Mary's uh, wonderful Magnificat in, in Luke chapter 1, and, and we looked at how in, uh, in Mary's song she magnified the Lord by by speaking of, of his powerful works, his works within her individually, but, but also within her people. And then last week, we, we took time to examine uh, Zechariah's story, the father of John the Baptist. And he spoke some wonderful words regarding Jesus being the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus was the one prophesied by God at the end of Malachi, the last of the Old Testament prophets, and, and he was the one who, who would and did come to bring light to those in darkness. So both of those two songs were, were spoken prior to Jesus' birth. The songs that, that we will examine today were both spoken after Jesus' birth. The, the first of the two songs, the song of the angels, perhaps was only spoken uh, or sung minutes, maybe, maybe hours after the birth of Jesus. And then the song of Simeon in the temple would have probably been 40 days after Jesus' birth. So, so these are two post-birth songs this morning. They're both very short, but they both speak powerfully about the reality of peace. Peace, which would come through this newborn baby. But before we examine that peace, before we examine the peace that the angels and that Simeon spoke about, we ought to first consider the type of peace that was already existent in the world at that time, the time of Jesus' birth. So I'd encourage you to go ahead and, and look with me at Luke chapter 2. And, and I want to look first at, uh, at the very first verse of Luke chapter 2, verse 1. This is a verse like we might expect from a historian like Luke. Uh, it's a verse that sets the context regarding the world into which Jesus was born. And, and I think it's a verse that sets up a, a, a powerful irony when considering this concept of peace. So if you look at verse 1 of Luke chapter 2, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, at first glance, that may not seem like there's anything in that verse to write home about. You know, if, if quizzers quizzing over that verse, it's not going to be one that they, that's a finish this first question. You don't usually memorize that kind of verse for prizes and kids, kids programs or anything like that, right? It's not your typical memory verse. Really, all we use that verse for is just to locate the birth of Jesus within the span of, of history, 
But a little bit of background discovery really paints an intriguing picture. Because Caesar Augustus was the first emperor of the Roman Empire. Up until his rule, Rome was kind of, or was more of a republic. During and after his rule, it was an empire. He was the first emperor. His reign began after decades of civil war. And what he did as a result of all that was he sought to consolidate power within himself. That's why he kind of made himself emperor. And he established a standing army, which, which had a big role in that. And the outcome of, of uh, Caesar Augustus and, and what he did within Rome, the outcome, honestly, was a relatively stable time within the Roman Empire. In fact, he is the one credited with initiating the famous Pax Romana, Roman peace. It started with Caesar Augustus. And kind of as, as proof of that, there's something that was created in his honor just before the birth of Jesus that's called the Arapasus, the altar of peace. And we've got a picture of it. Patty, if you want to put that up there. It, this is a picture of a reconstruction um, based upon fragments of this altar, which they've found. This altar was created to, to remember and to signify the peace which Caesar Augustus helped bring to the empire. Now, to be fair in all of this, the peace that Augustus instituted was a forced peace. It was kind of a dark Peace. It was a peace that was strongly maintained through military presence, through financial taxation. It was a peace that existed primarily because of the fear of Rome. It was a peace that was probably experienced more by the elites of society than by those in the bottom tiers of society. So when we talk about peace, that's the kind of peace that, uh, that existed at that time. And then on top of all of that, Caesar Augustus was the adopted heir of Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar was considered to be a god. And so as the adopted heir of a god, Caesar Augustus was thought to be the son of a god. And that's the context 2,000 years ago, into which Jesus was born. This peaceful time in the empire, which was attributed to the Son of God, Caesar Augustus. I mean, it's rather fascinating that in Caesar Augustus, we have this man who was looked at as the Son of God, who brought peace into the world. You see why there might be some irony there as we prepare to explore the songs of the angels and of Simeon this morning? Well, with that in mind, knowing the context into which Jesus was born, let, let's read the story. Let's read this first story with the first song, where the angels appear to the shepherds out in the fields. So this is Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, and here's the song, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So after the birth of Jesus, an angel appeared to the shepherds out in the field and, and announced to them the wonderful news. I mean, talk about a grand birth announcement. You know, we'll do it today with cards that we print up on Shutterfly or text messages or things on Facebook like that. This blows any of that out of the water. An angel appeared, and soon there will be a whole host of angels proclaiming the birth of Jesus Christ, the birth of the Messiah. But we can't miss what this angel says even before he gets to that announcement, even before he gets to the news about Jesus' birth. He prefaces that in verse 10 by, by saying that his announcement is of great joy for all the people. Great joy for all the people. And that is significant. That's significant for a couple of reasons. First, this isn't just news that is only for Israel, that is only for the Jews. We're, this is news that's for all people, all people on earth, Gentiles included. And, and we'll see this mentioned in Simeon's song as well. That the Messiah came to bring salvation beyond the Jews was, was something that, that was spoken of frequently in the Old Testament. Now, whether or not the Jews themselves highly expected it, it was spoken about in the Old Testament. For example, in Genesis chapter 12, God told Abraham that all the families of earth would be blessed through him, not just his descendants, not just the Jews. All people on earth would be blessed through Abraham's descendants. Psalm 22 states that all the families of the nations would worship before God. Isaiah prophesies in chapter 56 that foreigners would join themselves to God and keep his commands and worship on God's mountain and in God's house of prayer. Jeremiah 16 speaks of nations coming to God and worshiping him as their Lord. Um, Zechariah Old Testament Zechariah, not John the Baptist's father, but Old Testament Zechariah prophesies that many nations would join themselves to God. All that to say it was foretold that the time would come when it wouldn't just be Israel worshiping God as their Lord and Savior. The baby born and, and lying in the manger ushers in good news of great joy for all the people. Jews and Gentiles alike. None are excluded. So it's significant for that reason. And then when you think about the Roman context, this joyful news that the angels brought wasn't just for the elites and the powerful in Roman society. Any and all are able to humble themselves before God and find salvation through his son that was born. When you think about the peace instituted by Rome, that was good news mostly for the upper echelon of, of society. 
the peace instituted by Jesus is good news for all in society, everyone. I mean, we notice that if you think back to Mary's Magnificat a couple weeks ago, the statements in there regarding God's exaltation of the humble and the poor and, and the lowly, the, the Savior has not come to just to seek out the rich and the powerful and the proud. In fact, those are more often the ones who miss Jesus because they're not searching for him. Jesus has come for all and especially proclaims good news to those who are oppressed in society. And I think when you read uh, James's letter in the New Testament, I think this is why James points out that the gatherings of believers ought to emulate that truth. At the beginning of James chapter 2, he warns the believers not to show partiality, not to give special treatment to those who are rich and wear fine clothes. If they find themselves treating the rich better than the poor, they're not acting according to the example of their Savior, because Jesus came for all. He came for all. His arrival was good news of great joy for all, the rich and the poor alike the weak and the powerful alike. His peace is a peace that does not discriminate. So it's for Jews and Gentiles, it's for uppers and lower classes of Roman society, and it's for you and for me. It's for you and for me as well. Not a person is disqualified from experiencing the peace that Jesus brings. So no one is too poor, no one is too weak, no one is too sinful, no one is too uncertain of themselves, no one is too ashamed of the past. Each one can experience what the Prince of Peace brings. Scripture passage that Jim read from, from Isaiah chapter 9, the Prince of Peace is one of those titles given to the Messiah and so that's why at the birth announcement of Jesus, this entire multitude of angels shows up and sings out, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace. That, that was a bold statement in first century Rome. More common would have been glory to Caesar Augustus and peace among those with whom Rome is pleased. That would have been the statement of the day. Rome was pleased with you when you were rich or you were powerful or, or important. That, that, that was a message that did not bring joy to all people. The angel's message did, however. It was for all people. The prince of peace had come and he had brought peace for all people who would receive it from him. So, so unlike the narrow peace of Rome, the Prince of Peace brought peace that was complete. It wasn't simply security for this life, but, but security for all eternity. It's not simply a lack of fighting, but a fully reconciled relationship with God. That's the peace that the Son of God brought. If we think about it, there's, there's so many things in this life that offer us a counterfeit peace of some kind. I mean, we can probably make a long list. 
Money would be one of those things. Money promises to bring us peace. We're told that if we just simply have more money, then, then we can solve many of our problems and experience peace in the place of stress and worry. But, but anyone who is honest with you will tell you that money does not bring peace. It doesn't. It promises peace, but it fails to deliver. Political power promises to bring peace. We're told that if our preferred political party is in power, then, then we'll be able to solve many of the problems and, and, and experience peace in the place of, of stress and worry. But our country has gone through times of Republican rule. It's gone through times of Democratic rule, uh, Democrat rule. It's gone through times of split party rule. And none of those situations has brought about lasting peace, lasting solutions to our problems. Political power promises peace, but, but it fails to deliver. And you think about these last few months especially, a COVID vaccine promises to bring us peace, does it not? Everywhere we turn, that is the narrative. A vaccine will bring us peace. We're told if we can just get a vaccine to market and get people to take it, then we will we'll solve many of our problems and we'll experience peace in the place of stress and worry. And even though a vaccine has, has been approved now and it's starting to be distributed, I can confidently stand before you today and say, Peace will not come with a vaccine. It won't. Now, I'm not, I'm, not, you know, I'm not telling you how you should think about a vaccine, right? And An effective vaccine should be helpful. It should lead to greater physical health in our country, but it will not be a solution to all our problems. It will not bring the peace that it is promised to bring. It just won't. The peace that we seek can only be found through a baby boy born to the virgin who was wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. That was the message of the angels. That's where peace is found. The title Prince of Peace is fitting. He brings true, complete, lasting peace, and he brings it, he offers it to all people. None are excluded. And I think we get a real-life example of that piece when we look at the next song, the Song of Simeon. So follow along with me, still in Luke chapter 2, now in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Now, we're not given a lot of information about Simeon. I, 
we probably, if, if I had you picture him in your head, you're probably picturing an older guy. That fact isn't given to us in the text. We don't know how old Simeon is. Uh, uh, many times he's said to have been a priest or a temple worker, somebody who was in the temple regularly. That fact isn't given to us either. We, we don't know that for sure. All we know is that he was a man who was anxiously waiting for the Messiah to be born. That's what we know. He was waiting for the one who would come and bring comfort, bring peace to God's people. And, and when, you think, uh, well, when you read through this and when it talks about waiting, the, the, the word there, the Greek word there signifies an, an active waiting, a, a longing for this event to take place. Perhaps he went to the temple regularly, hoping that day would be the day. That, that could have been the case. Perhaps he longed for that day to come like, like we ought to long for the second coming of Christ. Maybe that's what his waiting looked like. Whatever it was, it was, it was an active waiting, and he was ready. He was ready for the Messiah to come. He wasn't deterred by how long it was taking. He wasn't distracted by the other things around him offering to bring, bring peace. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and then it happened. The, the moment finally arrived. One day, he was moved by the Holy Spirit, and he went to the temple, and he met the long-awaited Messiah. And he, as soon as he saw him, he took Jesus up in his arms, and he sang his great song of blessing to God, which we read. The salvation for which he had searched and waited had arrived. The salvation for which the nation of Israel had searched and waited for centuries had arrived. It was happening. And yet again, like we noted with the Song of the Angels, the coming of Jesus was not just for the Jews alone. Simeon's song speaks of Jesus being a light to the Gentiles, being for all peoples. We are reminded one more time that Jesus came to bring peace to all who would receive him. And I'm, I'm struck in Simeon's song here by, by how this peace shows itself in his own life. I mean, his first words, his first words after finally meeting the Messiah are, are that he can now depart in peace. <laughs> That's what he says. I can now depart in peace. I, I, I get the sense that whatever was or wasn't going on in Simeon's life at that time, he rested in the fact that God's promise had been fulfilled. That reality seemed to, to take precedence over anything else that would have been happening in his life. Again, we don't know how young or how old Simeon was. We don't know what kind of health he was in. But he does seem confident that whenever his time would come to depart from this earth, he was going to be ready because the prince of peace had come to him because of the peace that he had through this Prince of Peace. And I think in that is a good picture of, of the kind of peace that Jesus brings. Because it's, it's not like a peace of, that was the Roman peace of that day. It's not a peace that's focused upon the amount of money a person has or, or their influence in society or anything else that is fleeting. Uh, those fleeting things are never good sources of peace because they can always be taken away. At any moment, they can be taken away. 
I mean, Jesus, later in his life, as an adult, said to his followers in John 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus said, my peace is different from the peace of the world. And, and one commentator described it this way, the peace of Jesus. I thought this was really good. They wrote, a total well-being and inner rest of spirit in fellowship with God. A total well-being and inner rest of spirit in fellowship with God. It's a peace that's not dependent upon the external situations in life. It's a peace that is born out of the internal salvation that we've been given in Christ. That's the peace that Jesus brings to us. There's, there's so many external things in life that can cause us concern, aren't there? I mean, we think about physical health. We think about employment, um, relational turmoil, financial shortfall. We could come up with all sorts of things that, that are cause for concern, and, and all of those things can consume us. And those things frequently rob us of, of any type of worldly peace upon which we might be relying. Those things will rob us of that external peace. But Jesus has come that we might have a real lasting peace in him. And this, I think this is, is perfectly described in Philippians chapter 4. And I'd encourage you to turn there with me as we, um, as we finish up this morning. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 6 and 7. And, and these are pretty famous verses that talk about not being anxious and receiving peace. But when we start at verse 6, like, like often happens, I think we miss the reason that Paul gives for being able to write what he writes in verses 6 and 7. So look with me at the phrase right before verse 6. Paul writes, The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Other translations would say, The Lord is near. And so it's, it's because of Emmanuel. It's because of God with us the Lord being near, that we can have true and lasting peace through all of life's troubles. So because the Lord is near, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So we don't have to carry the weight of our situation upon ourselves. We can give those things over to God in prayer. We can make our requests known to him. And not, not just the little things on our hearts, but the big things. The big things we can make let, let known to God, right? The, the things that we might even be scared to admit to ourselves we can take those to God. The things that, that we might be ashamed to admit to others, we can take to God. We can give every 
emotion, every question, every fear, every confusion, every worry over to God in prayer. And as we do that, verse 7, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We bring our worries and our concerns to Jesus and we lay them at his feet and in turn he gives us peace to guard our hearts and minds. What a trade when you think about it. I think we come out pretty good in that trade to bring our worries, bring everything to Christ, give them to him and we're given peace in return. I, I can see why why Mary and, and Zechariah and the angels and Simeon were so quick to praise God for what he was doing in the world through the birth of Jesus. Because it was incredible. It's incredible when you think about it. The peace that Jesus brings, the peace that the angels proclaimed, the peace that Simeon possessed, the peace that is available to us, is both complete and everlasting. Jesus and his peace stand in stark contrast to Caesar Augustus and his peace, if you can even call it that. They're almost not even on the same page as one another. In the craziness that is 2020, I, I would encourage you this morning as much as I ever have to receive this peace from Jesus. If you've, if you've not brought your sins and your burdens to him and exchanged them for salvation and, and peace, today is such a good day to do that. It is such a good day for that. Any other peace you've been striving for in this life is going to fall short for you. It just will. There, there, there's no other place that we can find true, lasting peace. Only the Prince of Peace is able to give us that complete lasting peace that we desire. So we can rest in that peace of Jesus, even during this year, even during this crazy end to a crazy year. We can rest in Jesus. We can rest in the fact that the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds. You know, as, as Jesus was speaking to his disciples, it was it was the last moments before he was going to be arrested and crucified, and he spoke these words to his disciples in John 16. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There is tribulation in the world, isn't there? We don't have to look far to find that. But through all of it, we can find peace in the Prince of Peace who has overcome the world. That's the promise. That's the promise that Jesus gave to his disciples right before his arrest and crucifixion. And it's the same promise that is applicable and given to us today. Jesus has overcome the world, and so he gives us his peace in the midst of that. Would you stand with me? Let's 
Let's give thanks to God for that reality. Jesus, we come to you, um, maybe in many ways, people who are weary, people who are tired, people who are stressed, people who are worried. God, in so many ways, it feels like there's so much that we have faced this past year. And maybe for some of us, we would say it's been way longer than that. It's been decades. God, I give you praise that, that there is peace. That there is peace in you and through you, and we're so thankful for that. It's not peace that is found in anything external. It's not a peace that's found in the stuff of this world, but that it's in you. And God, I pray that, that our faith in that would, would grow and would strengthen. God, remind us to bring all of our worries to you. Remind us to lay them at your feet. Remind us that, that any place we are looking for peace in this world is, is going to be counterfeit. It's going to fall short. It's, it's going to go away. God, but help us to rest in you. We thank you that you've overcome the world. And that means that you have overcome anything that faces us. We thank you for your peace. God, may we be people of peace who rest in it and who spread it to others as well, who proclaim the great news just as the angels and just as Simeon did as well. We love you, God. We thank you, and we rest in you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.